<laughs> it's not like it would, it would falter because of our mistake. God's plans and purposes stand strong through endless generations. That's what the Bible says. So when we look at his original design, we see the intention of his heart for the fullness of life he desires for us and what God has created us for, okay? And what he's created us for is connection. He's created us, first of all, for connection with him, which is what we've looked at at the past several weeks, four, five, six weeks, um, how we've been made specifically and designed by God for God to walk with God all of our days. And you'll never get over that. You should never get over that. But also, he created us for connection, not just to experience him, but to be connected with one another. With the, God's original design is that we be deeply connected to him, but we would be deeply connected with one another. We are made to love. And that is the title of, of our message today is Made to Love. Um, I would like if you could just uh, pray with me as we jump into the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word that it's living, that it's alive. We ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We ask that you would open our hearts to who you are what you're doing, what you've made us for. God, that you'd help us to come fully alive. God, that you'd shine the light of your face deep into our hearts and make us to come fully alive, that in no way we would live in death, darkness, or beneath what you've given to us. Impart your spirit now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God's word is life, right? It's the instruction to lead us in life in all of his ways. <laughs> it's his way of life is fullness of life. Amen. So Genesis chapter 2, um, we're going to jump in at, at verse 15. But if you're familiar with the Genesis count, um, Genesis 1 is like the um, table of contents kind of, um, <laughs> where uh, the writer, we believe is Moses, lays out what God did in the seven days of creation. It's like, boom, God did this, it was good. Boom, God did this, it was good. God did this, it was good. God did this, it was good. Day six, he made man, and it was very good. And on the seventh day, he rested. And so then uh, Genesis chapter two is kind of like, let's go back to that whole, I made man in my image, and it was very good. Uh, it's kind of like the exposition of the story. And so um, we're jumping a little bit into it for time's sake, but just for understanding, because it could feel like, didn't we already talk about you made man, you made male and, male and female, you made them in your image? It's like God said, no, I need you to get a microscope on this one so you have a deeper understanding of how I created what I created you for. And so Genesis 2 begins with a little um, intro summary, and then we're jumping in at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, however you want to understand, sorry, I don't want to go off on bunny trails, but however you want to understand this, but somewhere within the sixth day, whatever the day was, a lot was going on. At least according to this narrative, there was the man, and the man was in the garden, just one, one man, one human. There's really one human, and so this is what we're looking at. It's not... Male and female, yet. All right. So the Lord God took the one human. Actually, that's what the word is. It doesn't say actually man. It, the word there in Hebrew is human, the human, <laughs> which uh, in Hebrew sounds like Adam. 
and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We talked about that. And verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat it from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said then, and this is the big one, verse 18, this is what we're looking at today, it is not good for the human, the man, to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now I'm going to skip the couple verses where it talks about him naming the animals. It's really cool. It's a sermon for another day. And skip to verse, the last half of verse 20. After they named the animals, it says, But for Adam, after all of the creation was brought before him, no suitable helper was found. Verse 21, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. Now, Again, interesting translation. Sorry, I keep stopping or reading the Bible. I hope you're okay. You might have a footnote in your Bible anyways. The word there is actually took the human's, well, I, I want to say it correctly, but we'll say the man's, the man's side. Everywhere else this word is used in the Bible, and you can look this up. Google's great. There are great Bible tools out there. It's, it's side. It talks about the ta tabernacle. It'll say the side of the tabernacle, and that's the same word. Or the side of the Ark of the Covenant. It's the same word. So to think of just like one itty-bitty rib doesn't seem to make sense. So uh, whatever, for whatever it's worth, I imagine God took a whole side off of Adam. Maybe not a full half, but a whole side. And closed up the place with flesh. All right, back in the text. Ready? Uh, verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the side he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Yeah, literally took a piece of you and made her. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Verse 25, and we're going to end here for now. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Amen. So this could easily you could easily say and easily go right here and talk about this is God's template for marriage. And it is. The manifesto is clear. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. He's speaking into the future, right? There's no father. There's no mother. It's just these ones. But he's speaking into the future. The manifesto of marriage, male, female, come together as one. That's marriage, okay? It's just good to say that, isn't it? Isn't good to say that today? God's design for marriage is beautiful. That's what it is. Never changed. That is not the message today. <laughs> I'm not going to redefine marriage for you uh, because you can't. It has one definition. But I want to look at the core of what was God creating? What was God doing in this moment when he created a human and then he created more humans? Okay? So we're kind of zooming out, if you want to look at it that way, to the ultimate purpose of what he was at. And, and not in any way, shape, or form to diminish the marriage covenant. But if you see what God was doing here as only applying to marriage, then those who are not yet married or maybe never marry feel disqualified from what God was up to. And God was creating uh, a manifesto for all humanity. And that was, it's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to live alone. Okay, are you tracking? See, we have this problem, you know, and, and I don't see that in God's grand original design, and that, again, I, 
Let me just say this one time and hopefully won't have to say it 15 more times because I'll be tempted. Marriage is amazing. Marriage was an essential piece of God's original plan to fill the earth with image bearers. You can't do it any other way. Marriage is awesome. I love being married. I'm glad I'm married. I hope everyone who's supposed to be married gets married. Okay, are we clear? Because <laughs> I'm going to be tempted to keep trying to make that point, but that's not where we're going today. We're talking about that it's not good for humans to live alone. Marriage is not the only answer to loneliness. It's not the ultimate cure. We do have a problem with loneliness, though, in our culture today, and that's what I want to get at. Um, there's a Harvard study that came out recently that said 36% of Americans, it could be worldwide, but let's talk about what the study says, 36% of Americans, that's well over a third, experience extreme loneliness. And this is without regard to whether they're married, not married, young, old. And, and I will say, just as a caveat, when I read that stat, what about the ones who feel lonely but wouldn't say it's extreme? We're probably including a larger number, all right? So it's in our current cultural moment that many Americans and probably people all over the world struggle deeply with a sense of loneliness. Because, this is what I think, our culture has taught us that life is about us. It's about being who we are, doing what we want, getting what we want out of life. And when we make life about ourselves, we can gain the whole world, as Jesus said, but still feel all alone. You know what? And it's the pain of that loneliness that leads us to sin, to medicate in different ways with drinking drugs, sinful pleasure, all, all of the ways we medicate our pain and loneliness. Um, this is the culture we live in, and you all can see that, right? What is the solution then? What, what did God create at the beginning of time that, that is different <laughs> from this, this current cultural moment we live in? Well, we're made in the image of God, right? In the image of the one who is called love. And the nature of God, the nature of God's love, is not that it's about him. The God's nature of love is always to give, to love, to serve, to share. You know, and if you zoom out, there, there's a little bit of, of biblical evidence for this. I won't overstate the case, but Proverbs chapter 8 kind of gives a nod to this. And, it, and it's the voice of wisdom, or it seems like the voice of God speaking and talking about the delight that the God had shared before they created anything. That I was daily, he was, I was his delight at his side. And so we're made in the image of God, and that the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit are eternally preexistent, right? And have lived forever and will live forever in this harmonious, uh, unbreakable family of love, right? God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they, they have lived in this sharing and giving of of, of mutuality and love from eternity past. It's, it's who God is, right? And, and I would say the reason we are here is because God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so enjoyed the love and mutuality and, and community or whatever you want to call it, this commitment and connection with one another. They loved it, enjoyed it so much that God had a desire. We need more beings who have the capacity to give and serve and, and share love. 
And we're going to create a being like us with the very unique capacity to give and receive love. And therefore, we are going to make mankind like us. To be the recipients of our love and to be created to give love and to walk with us in love for the rest of eternity. I could just see God the Father being so excited. So excited uh, to, to make us so that what was brimming in the Godhead could now be spilled out. Isn't that amazing? So he created us. We're being like him, yet different, right? With the unique capacity to give and receive love. Made for love, made for love, made by God, for God. So God made us in his image so that we could enjoy intimacy with him. God made us in his image so we could enjoy intimacy with one another. Well, intimacy. Now, many times if we hear that word, we're thinking romance, we're thinking sexual, but the, 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 the truest, purest form of, of intimacy is just nearness, closeness, togetherness. It's, it's not just marriage, you know? Um, I've heard it said this way, and I think this is further in my notes, but I'm just going to say it now. Um, intimacy could best be defined simply as into me, see. I'm going to let you see me. I'm going to let you be with the truest version of me. So God made man in his image to enjoy intimacy with him and with one another. And so I believe when God was in the garden with Adam, the one human, and you could go over into some really interesting bunny trails about his being if there was only one and what happened in the splitting of the one into two, but that would be a great discussion to not have me preach on. Um, and he looked at this one and said, actually, this isn't good. Not that what he created wasn't good, but this isn't the ultimate expression of what I was after. It's not good for the man to be alone because the man, the human, humankind is made with the ability and the uh, capacity to give and receive love. And this one doesn't have another one like himself to give and receive love. Is that making sense? And so God split the man and up <laughs> to create a context for many things. Marriage, family, God wanted a family, and you can't have a family with just one. You do need a man and a woman, and you need to multiply. But we're backing off from that for a moment just to zoom out on the bigger, bigger picture. God's going to have a family. There's a great desire to have a family. It's not good for humans to be alone. But was Adam in the garden with God actually lacking anything good? No. I would say Adam was fully fulfilled in God. It doesn't say that Adam came up to God and said, hey, hey, God, I'm, I'm kind of lonely out here with you. <laughs> You're not really enough for me. No, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't thinking, I need more than what you've given me, God. But God said, I have more for you than all I've given you. And it's to be expressed in relationship with others who are like you, but different. It's beautiful. To create a family. I want more than this, God said. I want people who aren't self-sufficient, but who relate to one another and walk together like I am. I am, the great I am, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, walking together. I want you to have the experience of being like me. God made us for connection. And God has a plan 
for all human beings to flourish relationally in every season of life. It will look different in every season of life. And the baseline of it all is whether you're 18, 48, 88, married, single, in a family, disenfranchised, God has a plan for you to be relationally flourishing and connected because you're not meant to be alone. Commonly, church culture can say, well, if you feel lonely, that's because you need to get married. Not that marriage is bad. I said all that right. Marriage is not the answer to our loneliness problem. It's a great avenue that the Lord gives us for companionship, but it is not the only avenue. And I would make a case that even married people need people outside of their marriage to be intimately connected with, to into me see. What did it look like? Well, the last verse we read in that chapter, they were naked and unashamed. Now, we're not forming any nudist colonies. Thank you, Jesus. But what does it mean for us to live naked and unashamed in how we relate to one another? It's that we're fully known and unafraid. That's what God designed us for, to be fully known by others and not be afraid, to be unselfconscious about ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, wow, I'm so not there. <laughs> but I believe that that's God's desire. I believe that's what he wants for you and me. I read this quote um, this week. Um, I read so many quotes that related to this. You know when you're looking for something, you see it everywhere. You know you buy a Honda, suddenly everybody has a Honda. Uh, but I kept seeing things that related to the truth here, and uh, this was so good. Um, you're only as free as you are honest. I thought that was good. And you're only as healed and whole as you are honest. I think that's true in our relationship with God. we got to be honest. I think in our relationships with one another, we have to choose, and even in marriages, you got to choose intimacy. You have to choose connection. You have to choose to be known and to be seen. But I believe we're truly created by God to be naked and unashamed, fully known without fear, so often we're tempted to, I say we, I'm just talking about me, really, I know me. We're tempted to self-protect, tempted to hide ourselves out of fear. If they really knew, if someone really saw me, there would be consequences. Would they really love me if they truly knew me? But the truth of the matter, and this is the, this is where, this is the tension of it all. We so desperately want to be known. We so <laughs> desperately want to be seen and valued just where we are. Hmm. God created us for it. God created us for it. So the nature of God is his love, and love loves to love. Love is made to give, serve, and share, and you can't do that to your, for yourself, you know? 
You have to have an object to, to give to, to serve, and to share with. We're made for one another. Connects to, and we see this even displayed in the life of Jesus. Did you know that? Do you, let me just zoom out. Because like, if, if we want to believe that there's only certain ways we have true intimacy, companionship, and connection, and probably that's marriage, well, Jesus in his earthly life never had marriage. But I believe he had connection. Do you think Jesus in any way was living beneath God's best Living beneath God's original design for humankind? No, he couldn't because he was the reflection of God's original intent and design. So what did this look like in Jesus' life to live a life of connection? Let's jump to, and you can look in your Bible if you want, or it'll be up here, Mark chapter 3. When he began to collect his disciples, it says this, Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13. I see some of you flipping there, so I'll wait. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13, says this. uh, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Verse 14. He appointed these 12, 12 of the ones he called, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And to have authority to drive out demons. So this is the very beginning of the story. The very beginning of his earthly ministry. The very beginning of his public life. Jesus is collecting these 12 men to himself. And of course we know they were ultimately going to carry on his life mission. His ministry when he died. And he knew that. But it says this interestingly. That he, he chose them. The ones he wanted. They came to him. And he appointed them that they would be with him. I think we miss that sometimes. His first desire was to have people that would be with him, to be connected with him, to live life with him in the deepest sense of intimacy and and that that they would then go out. But it wasn't either or. It wasn't just to have people carry on on his ministry. It was that he have these ones to be with him. Why? Because Jesus came to give us an example of how we ought to live. And he seriously shared his life with these guys, right? They were together 24-7, day and night, night and day. They lived together. It was almost like a marriage, right? They're eating together. They're sleeping together. They're uh, traveling uh, around the countryside together. He chose them for that purpose, to be with him, so that they could see him not just when he's in ministry moments, right? We imagine Jesus doing the miracles. We imagine Jesus standing on a mountainside preaching him. We imagine him in the boat calming the waters, but they were with him in the moments that weren't exciting, the moments that were just very human. Hey, we're eating fish, guys. Oh, again, fish? Yeah, fish. You know what I mean? And like, hey, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. All the things. They were, they were all in all the normal stuff. They got to see into him. And maybe that was almost, I don't want to say one was more important than the other. Maybe it's as important as seeing him do the miracles. Hearing his, his teachings was just as important to learn what it meant to be with him. To walk in commitment. To walk in connection. To walk in intimacy in the mundane every day. And we see him sharing the struggles of his heart at a couple different points in Scripture, and there are probably more that aren't in there. We see them, him take them at times and invite, hey, I'm really wrestling with this right now. Will you come pray with me? This is the hardest moment of my life. Would you come sit with me in this? Did you ever imagine the intimacy of that? 
What do we do most of the time when we're in a rough place? We isolate. Don't want you to see me like this. He says, come with me in the prayer closet where I'm going to open up my heart before God and you. Now, they might have fallen asleep for a sec, but he tried. But there were more moments like that. And we see in this passage it was intentional. It wasn't by accident. He's like, oh, I'm going to hang out for a while, see who I like, see who kind of like rises to the surface, those that kind of want to be with me. No, I'm intentionally choosing these ones to be with me. And he himself took the intention to create the context for that relationship and that intimacy on purpose with a mission. Really, in my, my mind, a neon sign. Hey, those that want to follow me, this is how we do life. I, I think that's what he's saying. We do it together. We do it together. Uh, so then God transforms these men into his chosen leaders by inviting them into an honest, intimate, vulnerable relationship with Jesus himself and with one another. It was both and. It wasn't just like these 12 guys related to Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. They were in it together. They were connected to one another. That was part of the story. That's part of how God shaped them and formed them. It was when they like elbowed each other and got mad at each other and wanted to take the place of greater honor, all the things. We need one another. God uses the one another's. Is this making sense? He transforms us into the people he wants us to be by calling us to walk intentionally with one another and him all at the same time, just like he did with the 12. The very son of God walked with them, but he was a person. But not only they with him, but with one another. And you see, well, let me finish this part. So these disciples got to see him, right? So that's the beginning. And then at the end, John chapter 14, Jesus is spending his last moments with his disciples. He had a lot to share. John chapter 14, verse 6, famous passage. We'll just put it up here. Jesus is, is talking with them, and he's, he's helping them understand, this is what I've been up to, and this is what is about to happen, and here's how I've equipped you to walk this out even without me present in body. He's, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's important. Now, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. It sounds like a question, right? From now on, you do know him. You have seen him. How? How have they known and seen the Father? They've been walking in friendship with the Son of God for three and a half years. You have known and seen the Father. You have known and seen God. What's our, our greatest desire in how God created us to relate is that we would be known, that we would be seen. What did Jesus do with his di disciples? He made sure that he was known to them and that he was seen by them. It was intimacy from day one till the day he left. Lord, show us the Father, verse 8, Philip said, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. And, and get it, right? When he's saying you've seen me, it's not like they saw him just on the platform. They saw him eating and sleeping and walking and talking and joking and laughing and fishing and playing games. I'm sure of it. 
You've seen me. You've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? And they go on to talk. But if you zoom in on that, Jesus is actually saying, you don't believe it, but you do know me. <laughs> you don't believe it, but you've been seeing me. You've been seeing the Father. He's assuring them because they need that assurance that they have seen him, they have known him, and in so doing, you've seen and known and have intimate relationship with the Father. That was what was going on all along. And in that moment, he's letting them know, this is what's been happening. And when I go, you'll still know and see me. But I hope you'll also know and see one another. He didn't say that. I just added that. He's setting his example. This is the way of life. This is the way we live. This is the way it goes. And then there are two times then, post-Jesus' post death, where we see the followers of Jesus, and they're hiding. And they're scared. They're in an upper room, at times fearing for their life, right? When Jesus was um, crucified and buried, they're hiding away. They're afraid of what's going to happen now that Jesus is gone. The first one there is after his, his immediate death. They weren't sure what to do. You know, where do we go from here? And then the second one was after he rose again, right? He, ro he rose again. He finds them uh, later in an upper room, uh, you know, fearing for their lives, and he visits them. And then the next one, sorry, is in Acts chapter 2. After Jesus rose again, appeared to them, walked with them for, for 50 days, taught them the kingdom of God, and then ascended into heaven, Jesus is gone again. What do they do? They turn to one another. Did you ever think about that facet of the story? They turn to one another. They're like, well, we don't see Jesus here anymore, but we know we have each other. And what did he give them in the midst of, we don't have him, but we have one another? He gave himself. He poured out his spirit. You see the, the mutuality of the us and God and the us and one another and God and us and God and us. It's all knit together. This is, Jesus had created a culture of connection mutuality, and commitment, just like he shared with God the Father. You know, in our current lives, it's so easy to be so sufficient, as I said, even as we follow Jesus. We think of it as me and the Lord, I'm with the Lord, um, and we, we can get along pretty good that way. It feels like it anyways. But maybe that's not the way we should always do it. Why did they turn to one another? When Jesus was gone, why did they look to the commitment of their brothers and sisters? Because it was life there. It was protection there. It is, I'm not alone there, right? And it's the way that Jesus taught them to walk, to do it together. It's not very American of him. You know, we think if anyone has the power and the resource to live self-sufficient, you might as well go ahead and do that. But God, in all of his riches, chose a dependent, connected, intimate life with us. What we really need, maybe we don't know that we need, is one another. You know, I think of um, Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Uh, and it doesn't explain it this well. It's just a question mark in my mind. So I'll just, just please put it in that category. But it says that the serpent came to Eve. And, and try to spin over her his lie. And I just think 
Why was Adam there? Where, where were you, Adam? It does say that she took it to him, and at that point, you know, she said, hey, look what the serpent said. We should do this. Doesn't it look good? We should, we should do this. And he joined in on the thing, but I think he should have been there. Uh, again, put in the question mark category, not preaching doctrine. But maybe if they were together when the serpent came, he wouldn't have had the same sway. Not because one was in, uh, intrinsically weaker, which is a very sad and sorry narrative that some would like to spin about women. It's just that she wasn't, that she was alone. What happens to us when we get alone? When do you sin most? When are you tempted most? <laughs> well, maybe there's some truth to this after all. We need one another. We'll wrap up with one scripture, and then I'm going to give us a challenge. Um, actually, one scripture, and then... Um, yeah, I want to share about uh, ways I've been learning to experience this, although I am, as Paul would say, in these areas, the worst of sinners. <laughs> I, more, more strongly than maybe you, I don't know, I haven't asked you, I haven't given you the 20 questions, but more than uh, most people I know, or at least have talked to about this, feel the need to self-protect and to hide, not because I'm sinning, it's just I'm scared, if I'm honest. Um, but let me share a scripture, and then I want to share a, a better testimony about that um, from First uh, John. You know this scripture, First John chapter one, and we'll just put up here again for time. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you: God is light; in him there is no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claimed we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, we think of this scripture as we should, because it clearly is stating the reality of, of confessing sin and, and becoming free by putting ourselves into the light. Um, but I think the deeper message here is that we're called to walk in light. We're, we're called to let ourselves be known and be seen. It's in that place of when we're known and seen, if we walk in the light, before it talks about sin, it says this, when you walk in the light, you have fellowship with one another. Before the sin is in the equation, you have to choose to let light shine on who you are. You have to choose to let people see you and know you. And when you do that, you have true fellowship and the blood of Jesus cleanses you and purifies you. It doesn't mean when we walk in the light that everything's great. It actually just means that I gain nothing by hiding. That's what it means to walk in the light. There's no, there's no reward for my self-protection at the end of the day. But by bringing the real me, all of me before God, and all of you, me before you, my brothers and sisters, I put myself in the environment not only where I can be seen and be known, but where I need, when I need it, and we often do, 
can be cleansed, healed, and transformed. And we need it. So my testimony is this. Um, it was really about a year ago. I think coming out of 504, um, I felt the Holy Spirit encouraging me that I needed to initiate what my friend Andy Bailey calls a boat crew. Um, a boat crew is a Navy SEAL term. Uh, it's a group of guys who um, go on these nautical missions, um, and it's usually just five guys, and they're risking their lives uh, in these, these missions they go on. I mean, it's Navy SEALs, okay? Just, yeah. It's, it's, it's as deep and as hard as it goes when it comes to the, the military. And so you have a boat crew, and the, the, the culture of a boat crew that goes on these Navy SEAL missions is you understand when you're on this boat crew with these five guys, wherever you go, that your life is in their hands. You're literally depending on one another to survive. Um, in, the, in the battle situations, but even in the conditions they face, they understand going in, I will not make it alone. And if you think you can do this alone, don't get on a boat crew. That, that's the thing, because it's just one of the many arms that people can choose to join. So my buddy, uh, Andy Bailey, he's been here, he's shared, has been kind of championing this cause for a long time, um, that everyone needs to be in a boat crew. People who you're, you're being seen, known, vulnerable to, and in a sense, you entrust your life to their hands. And so uh, last year, about this time, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, you need to do that with some pastors. Find some people who will be intentional, They'll commit. You can be known and seen, and you will come in with the understanding that I'm putting my life in your hands in a way spiritually. Um, I have a picture of my boat crew. There they are. It's a small group. We initially had five um, that I invited and who said yes. But let me tell you what happened, and I'm not naming names, um, but two, maybe there were only two. Yeah, there were initially five, so two guys. Uh, I said, look, this is the nature of what we're doing, and it's a commitment. We're going to meet at this time every two weeks, and you build your calendar around it. You can't be like, oh, I can't make it this week. You're, it's a commitment. You're committed to this. And one of the essential elements of what we're going to be doing is you're going to be vulnerable. You're going to share your life with this group of guys. Well, when you talk about commitment and vulnerability, not everyone can handle it. So this is us. The three of us who are willing to say yes and have been doing it for the last year, meeting, sharing our lives, and it has been so life-giving to come to a space where we understand we're committed and we can be vulnerable and known and not be afraid. Um, now, uh, and, and that's really just meant for us bringing our full selves to this meeting. It's just one and a half hours every two weeks to the meeting. And, and let me just be clear, because I've heard of groups where you talk about vulnerability and you think, oh, we, we're just going to come every week and confess sin. No, we, we don't do that. We just bring ourselves. What's going on with you? And then we pray for one another. And we see God move. We've seen God answer prayers. I could go into a whole testament. So um, on the left is my friend who's been here one time, uh, Pastor Eric Mulanda. He's from the Congo. Uh, he pastors, um, it's called Hope Community Church in Lansing on Mount Hope and Cedar. If you've ever seen that big red church, uh, he pastors there. 
and it's a uh, multinational. Like they literally translate their service into like four languages simultaneously uh, during the service. It's amazing. So they got the nations there, and then my guy in the middle is Kurt Wright, who uh, pastors Crossroads Church in North Lansing, um, and they do some amazing work reaching out to the poor because they they live in the middle of it, and that's me. Um, so these are the guys we meet together. We've shared life, and we've seen God move. Um, this last week, uh, just when we met, or the week before, I had been listening to a podcast um, from a guy who's a fairly well-known author now. His name is John Mark Homer. Um, check out his books. Good stuff. Um, I listen to more podcasts than I read, just being honest. But he's talking about the reality of having relationships like this. And he says, like, 25 times in the podcast, you've got to get people around a table and eat food and confess your sin and share your life. And he said it like three times. Eat food, confess your sin, share your life. And I think what he means is <laughs> uh, be honest about what you're struggling with. But so I'm going to this boat crew this, this last week. I'm like, fine, I'm going to start the meeting and say, does anyone have any sin to confess? Let's see how this goes. We've been at this a year. And I did, and I'm like, and I didn't frame it. I said, anyone have sin to confess? Before we do anything else, let's do that. And they just started, like, sharing stuff. And, it, again, what was beautiful about it was that it wasn't like, oh, I'm so ashamed, I'm so bad, I did this thing. It wasn't that. It was like, what is weighing on me most heavily? Can I just bring to this thing? And we brought it, and it was so good. It was so real. Again, we prayed for one another. We spoke life to one another. We were experiencing togetherness and intimacy. And uh, we were, as it were, <laughs> naked and unashamed. And so I want to encourage you, as we close, um, to be like Jesus. And let the Lord lead and guide you to who you can choose to walk with. And let me tell you, you can't do it with like 20 people. You probably can't even do it with 12. He did it really closely with three, right? And, and be intentional about who it is. Because the way this works is, I think, takes about four things. I have a list. You have to be committed to these people in some way, shape, or form. You got to be consistent in your relationship together. You got to be intentional about who they are and how you relate to one another. It's not, it's not a passive thing. And then you have to have transparency, which just means I let you see me. That's how you build this connection of knowing and being seen and, let's say it, the cure for the loneliness that is epidemic on the globe. It's life-giving. You lose nothing. You gain everything. By walking in the, with Jesus, with other people, with Jesus, with other people. So I want to encourage you to pray about who, Lord, would you have me or do you have me already connected to? How can I show my commitment? How can I be consistent? How can I be intentional about walking in uh, transparency in a way that we're seen and known, naked and unashamed? And how can I practice being transparent? And these, of course, if you are married, you should be practicing them. I should be practicing them more. Um, it's for all of us, though. If you're breathing human, this is God's plan for your life. Amen? Let's stand. Rachel, can you come on up? And I'm just going to pray for us. Um, and I'm going to ask uh, for the light of the Lord to shine on our hearts. Because I think that's what we need. We need him to show us... Um, yeah, where maybe we're hiding from him or maybe where we're hurt and need healing. And I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to do that work. He, 
Uh, and we'll just begin it now, and you can continue the conversation with him this week, this month, this year. Let 2024 be the year you walk out what it means to be made to love. Made to love your God, made to love your brother and sister. Amen. Father, we thank you for your kindness, your love, your nearness to us at all times. We thank you that we, you created us for love. You created us for you. But you also create us to walk with one another. Just right now as we wrap up, Lord, I ask that you'd shine your light into our hearts, Lord. If you're willing, you may even just want to, if you're willing to make that invitation, just lay your hand over your heart. Say, Lord, I invite you to shine your light into my heart. Show me where the darkness of loneliness has taken up residence. And Lord, I invite your light into that space. God, in the places where I've been hurt before, when I've made myself vulnerable, would you come and bring healing? The places where I've absorbed fear of what people will think of me, what they'll say about me, how they'll respond when they really see me, God, shine your light. Shine the light of your face deep into our hearts today. Shine the light of your face into our souls, into our spirits, into our minds, so that we can have true fellowship with you, so we can have true fellowship with one another. Lord, I pray that you begin to release healing in all the ways we need healing. But I also pray you begin to give us courage to be honest, to be real, to be seen, to be known before you and before our brothers and sisters. And Lord, if you would call us to be intentional and pursue certain ones, I pray that you'd impress that on our hearts and minds. Now, or today, or this week, Lord, that we would walk in fellowship, walk in the way of Jesus, walk in intimate connection, life-giving fullness with you, Jesus. Just take a moment right here. Just again, invite in the light of the Lord into every space. You can trust him. He's safe. Lord, if there's anything you want to say or show us, we just give you a moment right here before we wrap. Thank you, Father, that we are already seen and known and loved by you. Give us confidence in, our, in the love you have for us. How great is the Father's love that you have lavished on us that you have called us the children of God. This is who we are. This is what we are. What a great love we have. God, let us know the width, the length, the depth, the height of your love. God, that it would fill us to overflowing, that it would Im we'd be immersed in it and never come up. <laughs> we'd be fully, fully, fully in the love of God every moment, all of our days. And Lord, from, and from that place of being loved, we'd be bold, courageous, and safe to make ourselves known to others, Lord. We walk in the way that you've called us to walk. In Jesus' name.